ask anybody's question but yours. You're an idiot. And really a disloyal person. What's up, friends? Welcome to the Disloyal Idiots podcast here on the Fans First Sports Network. I'm Christian Guzman, joined for the first time in quite a while. Andy Pregler, Steve Hauer will be jumping in as usual a little bit later. But Andy, it's been a while. Yeah, I had the September from craziness, and then that continued into October. And now I'm finally settled in. I feel a lot like Syracuse football. I started off juggling a lot of things really well feeling really good about it and then i remembered that i'm a 31 year old out of shape man and my body just started betraying me and i couldn't do it all and yeah i also just didn't want to talk about three straight syracuse losses uh let's just let's just be real here those last three weeks were not fun (laughs) well in a world where mental health is a very serious topic that people want to consider um i think it was very good for your mental health that 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 line of thinking occurred given what has happened to Syracuse (laughs) over the past couple of weeks. Uh, But now Syracuse has to confront their version of a cold, rainy night. It's Tuesday night in Stoke. (laughs) And it's a cold Thursday night in Blacksburg. That's what's coming up for Syracuse this week, as both teams who are both coming off a bye have very differing opinions about this game, especially with the trajectory uh, where both of these teams have gone. That is Syracuse-Virginia Tech. It is a primetime game on ESPN that I'm sure the nation is buzzing to see. I mean, this is the this is the fun part about the nationally televised schedule with the ACC is that these these games are chosen in advance because of the travel constraints. And so when this game came out, there were a lot of people who circled this game as like a oh this is going to this is where it could get really bad because it's coming out of the death stretch and Blacksburg is a tough place to play and Virginia Tech is usually a good team the difference is is that this year Virginia Tech is a bad team um they're 3 and 4 they're 86th in offensive sp plus they're 39th in defensive sp plus which is obviously better Uh, But this is not the Virginia Tech that you remember from a few years ago. This is not even the Virginia Tech of the old Big East days. This is just another middling ACC program. And so this feels weird for me, but this actually feels like more of a test for Syracuse than any game we've had this year, because this is a game where we're going to find out so much. Like I think the ACC has shown There's Florida State and everybody else. Um, UNC losing to Virginia. I thought that like we had questions about that defense. (laughs) We had questions about that defense. And (laughs) those questions got answered. That defense was very gettable. Um, If it wasn't Syracuse, it was going to be somebody. And I I think that as you kind of look at, we knew what was going to happen with Clemson. We knew what was going to happen with Florida State. And now Syracuse is just as much in the muck as anybody else. And Christian, I thought that that that, um, that tweet you sent by David Hale was really interesting um, in our in our news magician Slack message because according to the Football Power Index, Syracuse is a ninety five percent chance of of making a bowl game. And I think that there's a lot of doom and gloom around this fan base right now when the reality is like, look. 
I don't know if you all remember, but the last time Syracuse went to a bowl back-to-back seasons, Doug Marone was the head coach. Um, oh, actually, no, let me rephrase. It went Doug Marone and then Scott Schaefer. Like, this is not something that Syracuse does a whole lot, is go to a bowl in back-to-back seasons. And they are, at least on paper, set up really well to do that. Yeah, so for those who uh, did not see the... For those who did not see the David Hale tweet, I'm going to pull it up on the live stream right now. Again, again, uh, and if you are watching our uh, live streams on uh, Twitch, uh, YouTube, or Twitter, whatever they may be, you will see clearly that Syracuse is right up the top there with the 95.6% odds. Um Shout out to front of the program, Caroline Darney, who notices UVA's 1.4 bowl odd chances and immediately <laughs> says there is a chance. Right, Steve? There's always a chance that UVA can make a bowl, even if it's only at 1.4. I mean, after what they did this week, uh, sure. Why not? But this is the, mo- this hold is the on, most... Wait, hold on. Do we have Evil Pregler on the, uh, the pod here? This is... Uh, <laughs> This is this is this was our version of Pregler in World Between Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Yeah, yep. That's uh that's perfect. You got the the, the channeling is inner Tony Stark. All right. Indeed, Listen, indeed, indeed. I'm I'm gone for I'm gone for three weeks. What do you what do you think I was out doing? I had to be doing something. I wasn't hanging out with you all. <laughs> off in the wilderness working on the uh, working on the goatee. <laughs> Yeah, Pregler was in a cave after uh, testing Jericho missiles. But, With you know, <laughs> besides that, like this season, there's a lot of doom and gloom around this uh, program right now. And for good reason after how Syracuse has looked over the past three games. But when you look at these odds, you start to remember that I believe it was according to ESPN's uh, strength of schedule ratings at one point. Syracuse had the easiest strength of schedule remaining. Because when you look at Virginia Tech, Boston College, Pitt, Georgia Tech, and Wake Forest, that's a pretty easy back half of the schedule. And Virginia Tech is kind of riding a small high, you could say, after winning two of their last three, including over Pitt and Wake Forest, two of Syracuse's future opponents. This is still a beatable Virginia Tech team, and every team on this in the remaining part of the schedule is beatable. And Andy, I, this is actually one of the points I brought up while you were on your hiatus away from the internet uh, is Steve and I were pondering what's the, actually the toughest game left on this schedule. And while this, and while this Virginia tech game is tough because it's a lane stadium on a week night, which is always insane to try and, you know, battle those elements. The scary thing is this might be a, situation where the toughest game on the schedule right now is Georgia Tech and Atlanta. I I, I think that this is a really interesting like here here's a great here's a great example here, Christian. Um SP plus has Syracuse as a 0.5 favorite going into this game. Oh wonderful. Um, Thank you, and- Bill. And that is because uh Virginia Tech is uh, the home team Syracuse is ranked 48th. Virginia Tech is ranked 66th. 
no team that Syracuse has left on the schedule is above Syracuse in the rankings besides Pitt, who's basically dead even with them. Like Syracuse and Pitt are literally tied at 3.6 in the SP plus rating. Uh, good for 47th and 48th, respectively. The, um, this is this is the universe's way of balancing, balancing itself out. I, I I think that it's really tough to look at Syracuse's schedule and, and get any kind of real vibe on it. Because if you look at Purdue in SP+, like Purdue has, has fallen off of a cliff here. They're ranked at 76th in SP+. Like they ended up being a very bad team that Syracuse went in and, and won in my opinion, relatively convincingly, I know the scoreboard and the turnovers were a whole other thing, but I thought I thought Syracuse, especially rewatching that game, Syracuse was the better team by, it, it a, was, by a wide stretch. It was definitely it was definitely one of those wins that like could have been more convincing if the all the wide receiver drops didn't happen. Yes. Because like yes. that was like the only weak part of that game for Syracuse was the, the wide receiver drops. Yeah, and so I think if you look at the schedule, like Pitt is a giant question mark right now after the quarterback change. Uh, the defense is not as good as we thought it was, and that's not changing. But the offense is still, to me, a relatively large question mark. And and I'm glad that we have a few weeks before that game kicks off because we need to. I think we need more game film on Pitt to figure out what they actually are. <laughs> like the, and the weird thing about the schedule is, is that every game, with exception to maybe the last game of the season, has kind of a weird asterisk of marks about like the intangible of said game because you have this Thursday night game in Virginia Tech and Blacksburg, which again, we know from history, like we've said that um, Lane Stadium on a weeknight, not a weekend, on a weeknight is a more hostile environment than some would lead to be believed. Then you have a Friday game against Boston College at night, which is still weird in itself. Then the pit games at Yankee Stadium, and God knows how that field's going to hold up in November because it didn't hold up well in December. And then you have Georgia Tech on the road in Atlanta, which is, again, Syracuse on the road is a coin flip of a, of a coin flip. And then the Wake Forest is the most normal game, but that's senior day in a dunk crowd, which is not going to have student support. Because it's the it's students coming back from Thanksgiving break. So like there's so many factors and intangibles in the rest of the schedule that make it seem that probably make it harder than it seems. And I think and I think what we've seen so far, at least in the ACC, if you remove Syracuse from the equation because of, of who Syracuse has had to face, the rest of this ACC is really a lot of, of what version of the team do you get? None of these teams are very consistent. And I like, and that's putting it incredibly mildly. Like yeah, I think, I Georgia, say. you know, Georgia tech played a great game with Miami and won because Miami made a stupid coaching decision, but like, yes, Miami should have won. Miami was in a close game with Georgia tech. That should not be a thing that Miami is into this season and yet and yet here's Georgia Tech that then comes out and lays an egg against a Boston College team that I think is also pretty bad and I think when we look at what Syracuse is and what Dino Babers has done in the past this is one of those games where I feel like all these games could be close because Syracuse can very easily play down to the competition they've done it before and I Dino has kind of shown against 
his better judgment, he's willing to get into a rock fight when he could just pull out a gun and, and win it a lot easier. Like the, the offensive play calling in some of these games, especially like, I think this is actually something that we were talking about off air that I think is important for this Virginia tech game, but also important for all these games. I was stunned when the in game, I rewatched the Florida state game and with a front four that is helmed by Jared verse and is just destroying your offensive line on a pretty consistent basis. Dino goes to the sideline reporter and says, we need to be running the ball more. And I am just a little confused. Now that Steve's here, I get to ask my question that I always get to ask. Is is there something happening on the offensive line with run blocking that should lead to more optimism? Because... In that scenario specifically, and I think we saw it against UNC and we saw it against Clemson as well, this team is just not a very good run-blocking team in general. And when they go up against a front four that is so clearly dominant, Dino's insistence on what's essentially just running up against a brick wall and falling down for a yard feels silly to me. But like, I'm wondering if I'm just missing something here. Because what I see is not a lot of holes unless you're able to bounce it to the outside, which none of these run plays are really designed to do. It looks like they're trying to attack the A, uh, the A or the B gap instead of like trying to bounce it, bounce it out around the tackles. Yeah, there's... A- aka that Syracuse's run offense from 2020. Uh, here, guess what? Steve did a thing. Oh, Steve. Steve found a spreadsheet. That's what that's code for Steve found a spreadsheet. <laughs> you know me so and, well. And by Steve found a spreadsheet, viewers, we mean Steve made a spreadsheet. Spreadsheet. And here is Steve's spreadsheet. <laughs> Steve, Steve. I love the fact that, that was as soon as I was like, hold on. You knew exactly where I was going with this. Again, if um, you were listening on your podcast platform of choice, tune into the live stream, by the way, on Sundays, nights at 8 p.m., or go to YouTube.com and search up Disloyal Idiot Syracuse Orange, and you can watch the VOD of this so you can look along and see Andy's face looking at this thing. <laughs> this is an yeah, amalgamation I mean, of mess. Uh, so this, over is, here- this is Steve Symbiote. Yeah, <laughs> this is my brain compressed into uh, Microsoft Excel form, or in this case, Google Docs. Um, Shout out to Marvel Spider-Man 2 releasing this weekend. <laughs> yeah, haven't got for the end. yet, but need to. Um, the uh, So effectively, you know, I did the stupid thing of watching the first seven series and breaking them down uh, almost you know play by play and miraculously steve is still alive with us today well, remember i didn't watch the game live so it, it wasn't a re rewatch which would have been even more painful but um the weird the one there's a couple weird things out of this um a lot of zone reads which is what you're noticing andy a lot of targeting the b gap like uh, somewhere between the a and b gap and then having the running back make a read i found that i that laquint allen was bouncing away from the hole a good bit um and not in the not in the good sense christian where the running away from blocking works uh in this case there was there was some holes that he was missing and you know you can you can take that from a young back well youngish back that you know it doesn't 
with an inconsistent offensive line to know where those holes and where those tendencies are. Um, you also have, uh, you know, uh, there's there's more, as far as blocking goes, there's more fines and solids in here than I expected to see. Um, there was a lot of stuff that you could tell was just Florida State having better athletes. Um, you know, the first, literally, I texted Kevin when I was doing this because <laughs> I had to vent somewhere. Uh, the first like series and a half, literally Jared verse was the only thing keeping Syracuse back from doing things like first play backside linebacker pressure was good. And the like verse was coming clean right behind everything and putting like putting that secondary pressure on that isn't the, Hey, he's hurting the quarterback, but he's close enough that the quarterback has to know he's there. Uh, all of these, like that bootleg pass by Schrader, like that was the second play from scrimmage verse was right there behind him. Uh, <laughs> I literally wrote verse pressure every play so far. Um, Turns out that this guy might be really, really good. Verse follows Cruz, Cruz's hip like he's supposed to. Go figure. Um, but that's the thing is, you know, a, a uh, this play in particular, uh, the second play or second drive, first play, uh, we're in a twenty set, so two running backs, no tight ends. Uh, it was a run to the a gap, almost a zone read type thing. So the runs away from verse and Enrique Cruz. Cruz is trying to, uh, I guess, pinch block the the guy in the B gap below him, and kind of dig him out. Verse is literally on his hip, parallel to the line, and tracks down Allen. And it's like I, there's nothing you can do about that. Like he's just he was that good. Now as the the game went on, there was plenty of other things that came, but that was the thing that jumped at me was like we can hit whatever assignments we want, but when he's playing like he was playing, you're kind of screwed. Um, that said, there was a lot of um, Schrader locking into reads as we yeah. knew was happening. I was going to bring this up. Uh, <laughs> numerous times Schrader locks in on reads again, open men, Allen wide open underneath with the home. And he, he went for the home run, you know, stuff like that where, uh, you know, assignments are fine, but no movement everywhere literally everybody was on the man they were supposed to be but nobody's getting moved and that's just a physical thing like there's no uh, yes you got where you needed to be but you've got to be able to move them so i i wish i had an answer for why uh i, I get you the what i don't so, i can't get you the why so i think i have my answer for why okay and here's two things first thing uh for those who aren't seeing it like as Steve alluded to, he's also broken this down not just by drive and number number of plays on drive, but also by formation personnel to show how insane oh. this spreadsheet is, which I love. But we're just crushing, <laughs> we're just crushing over your spreadsheet a little bit, Steve. Yeah. That's all. That's all. <laughs> but the why for why I think, especially for like why, and this is not. This is actually not a reason for the run blocking, but I think just in general, why the offense has kind of been lackluster. And you kind of mentioned it, and it's kind of right in front of us. It's Schrader's regression. Because uh, I, like I told Andy, I I did the unfortunate thing of before this podcast of looking at uh, Schrader's uh, PFF grades so far this season. And, and the first four games look great. 
86.1 versus Colgate, 71.6 versus Washington, Michigan, that great 89 versus Purdue, and the 71.6 versus Army. Those are all green and blue grades, which are really good in PFF's mind. And then he gets to Clemson, Florida, North Carolina, Florida State. And his highest grade of those three games is a 51.3, and that was against Florida State. And yeah, that's... remember, remember, folks, the Mendoza line is 60. Yeah, I think it's I think one of the things that I was actually chatting about this in a group chat and, and Christian, you and I were talking about this before, Steve, I think you're just going to agree with us here. Like ever since that Purdue game. Actually, they did it a little bit in the Army game, but really since that Purdue game happened when Isaiah Jones went down with whatever it is that he went down with, they just stopped targeting the middle of the field. Like yeah. there are, it, it's not even, I, I really do need to like find a way to look at more film and see like if there's routes being run and guys just aren't getting separation, if there's any routes being run in that section of the field. It's just like if you look at Schrader's, if you go on PFF, the premium stats, you can take a look at his attempts, his targets, whatever, uh, broken into the, into the nine zones. He just doesn't go down the middle of the field anymore. And it's it's really offense 101. Like in today's football landscape, you need to target middle of the field, uh, 10 to 19 yards, uh zero to nine yards consistently if you're going to have success and Trader just doesn't throw there. And a lot of that is because the number one target for Syracuse last year in that area was, uh, uh, Oronde Gadsden. And as Christian was saying, like we just, saw today, just as importantly, who was the number two? Isaiah, Isaiah Jones. And Isaiah who was Jones. the number three? Uh, the the question mark. <laughs> What was that? Trevor Pena. Yes. Okay, it was Trevor Pena. You're right. All three yeah. of yep. our inside receivers are MIA. Yes. And we've seen them attempt to try to do something. Like, again, this is why I say I need to watch because I think Donovan Brown has kind of filled in that slot role. He has. But he's not getting but... targeted. He's not getting targeted in those areas. That's something like this. Like I can distinctly remember second drive, six play uh, Schrader locked in. There were open reads everywhere and there were crossing routes on the middle of the field that he was just, just didn't see or something like. Yeah. And, and to and, Andy's point, when we talk about Brown being that guy in the slot that, you know, Schrader wants to, th- uh, that guy in the sh- slot that, you know, should be like the golden target for Schrader, because that's what we've seen the success from Schrader. It's over the middle passes. But when you see Brown making a catch or getting targeted by a Schrader pass, it's not over the middle of the field. It's like on the hash line. Yeah. And like that's not the middle of the field for Schrader. That is still very much sideline. And what have we said over the past three years? Where is Garrett Schrader the weakest throwing or two years? Less sideline. Yeah. So what are we doing here? In, in my best Taylor Twelman impression, what are you doing here? And, like, I, and this is the point that Andy, I think, was going to bring up. And this is what we talked about before, the, before uh, we started. We went live. This is we're seeing Syracuse in its Kansas City Chiefs offense without Travis Kelsey. Or Georgia without Brock Bowers. Like, you have one target 
that target is a freak tight end who lines up primarily in the slot in some way, shape, or form, and you just get him the ball. But that guy is so good at being in the most dangerous spot on the field consistently. And we even saw it with Mahomes when when Kelsey went out. We see it with every quarterback. When you lose your favorite target, it takes a while to build up confidence with other targets. The problem is like, Again, we saw a little bit of Damian Alford in the slot and it didn't work out all that great. It's it's just a situation where this offense has now been rendered to a position where they aren't they don't have somebody that they feel confident consistently putting in that role. So you're completely redoing the offense and I think that's where the and to bring this all around home when we talk about Schrader's regression, what made him so good towards the tail end of last year and at the beginning of this year was that he was able to target the middle of the field on his dropbacks and he did a whole lot less of the quote-unquote design Schrader runs which were pretend to drop back and then immediately tuck the ball and put his head down and like against Florida State against North Carolina against Clemson I've just seen a lot of those plays that like, sure, they might be designed runs, but they feel more like RPOs that the coaching staff is saying is a designed run that Schrader had just decided from the get-go that he was going to take to run because he didn't want to look over the middle at a covered insert, whichever receiver is trying to replace the Gadsden, uh, the Pena, the Isaiah Jones route that that's just not there right now. Now, as the sadist that watched this, um, the, uh, at least in the seven, uh, drives that I watched all of the QB runs, literally every QB run was a design run. And the only way you can tell is, uh, the line, the line, because they were downfield consciously. It wasn't like a guy floating. It was like they were actively run blocking, you know, pass set into run block. So at least, at least what they were calling at the beginning of the Florida State game was designed runs. Uh, I don't know if Schrader is selling the pass on those well enough, but that's its own animal. Um, he's very good at ball fakes. I don't know how great he is at, you know, the the body and head fake for a draw. Um, they also their timing on some of the the running back draws were also a little funky. Um, and I, and I will say, I think some of that is also down to competition because when you have a literal projected top 10 pick in the draft on the other side, that, like and like Andy mentioned, that changes things. Yeah, and, oh, 100%. And, and yes, UNC's defense didn't look too hot against UVA, but like it's still a better defense than what Syracuse faced against Purdue. So, like, yep, this is... <laughs> I, I know, Andy, but like... No, no, no. It's, it's just like the, the, the part for me that like, again, to like kind of bring this back to the Virginia Tech preview side of things, like Virginia Tech's defense is a top 40 defense. It's 39th, according to SP plus very, it's a, it's a good defense. It, it might be very good, but if you go to CFB graphs, hi Parker, um, and you go and you look at Virginia Tech, it's all their past defense. Like Virginia Tech has some great corners they are 13th in efficiency on dropback plays. They are 110th in defensive efficiency against the run. Like, the the way to win this game 
is to get three to five yards on every single running play, which Virginia Tech is willing to let happen. And like, this is where this whole thing becomes really frustrating for me is because we know Garrett Schrader will want to run. I'm assuming that the coaching staff is relatively intelligent and using the bye week to say like, look, we're going to have a great running offensive game plan to kind of attack this. But I, again, I just, I just have a lot of questions about Syracuse where this test feels like, Hey, there's a game plan to beat this team. You need to go out and like, like Steve said, you got to go out and execute it. And unlike against the last three weeks, the level of opposition that we're facing here is not day one, day two NFL draft. We're going up against a uh, we're going up against a P five college program, which means that they're going to be good, but it's roughly the same level as Syracuse. Like this is an opportunity. Yeah, this is an opportunity where if you're ready for it, they should be able to execute at a certain level. And I'm just, I, I think, I think my biggest frustration with the, with the team at this point is like we know that they can't execute against a great team. We know they can execute against bad teams we have a whole lot of something in between from here until the end of the year. And I just, I don't feel confident saying one thing or the other because the peaks and the valleys have been so disparate. And that's the thing about the Syracuse schedule kind of to bring it back all again, back to like what we talked about at the beginning of this whole shebang is that, you you know, Syracuse hasn't played a Metacore team this year. The teams this year have either been really bad or really good. And like when you look at Virginia Tech, they've already played Pitt and Wake, who are Medicore teams at best, and won both of those games. So Virginia Tech knows that they can beat a middle-of-the-road program. Syracuse hasn't established itself as a middle-of-the-road program because it hasn't played any of those opponents yet. Yeah. So like, again, like we said at the beginning of this year, we don't know what the Syracuse team is until literally this game. Pretty much. Yeah. There's no no ifs, ands, or buts. And I guess that you know, that FPI stat that you showed when I came on and then came off and then came on and then came off again there. <laughs> um like should we be able to get two more out of these five? By the numbers, yes. But uh I guess I I would almost say we can answer the Sicko's question. Is Syracuse good as a no? Because we played three good teams and we've gotten run off the field. Now the question turns to, is Syracuse mediocre? That's the question. And that's what we're going to find out. You know what this game is now? Hmm. This is Dino Baber's version of the James Franklin versus OSU game. I mean, he's been terrible off of bye weeks. <laughs> because if if you saw Twitter this week, it was nothing about, oh, Franklin's a great coach and everything, but he cannot get it done against OSU. And, and, I, think, and I think we are approaching that same stretch with Babers, not just for this Virginia Tech game, but for the rest of this season. Yeah, that sounds right. I'm just really frustrated about the Dino Babers bye week thing. It this feels like like and part of that. 
And I look at I look at like you know Mike Tomlin and the Steelers, who I think the Steelers are now on this this game was like eight straight years where Mike Tomlin has won after a bye week, and I think that that goes to like the whole Mike Tomlin's a good actually a good coach kind of vibe. And I want to believe that like all the things that Dino says and does like strikes me as a guy that would do well after a bye week, and it's just not happened. And this again. It's Thursday night. It's going to be a kind of a weird game. It's a weird prep week for the team. But you had a bye week. Use it. Um, so it's it's sorry. I'm just I I really want Syracuse to win this game, not just because I want to see Syracuse win a game again, but like <laughs> I have been I have been the guy. I think all th- I think everybody except Christian, aka me and Steve, have been the people to been like, look, this isn't this. Nine and three, eight and four is still potentially on the table here. Like this is not a hard schedule. No, I, I, I no. I've after the start to the season, I switched to that. Okay, yeah. So the like, three of us, and, are like, and, and and I will, and I will agree that nine and three is very much on the cards here, based on the teams that are left. This is, I, I, I am willing to say and put it out there: there is an above fifty percent chance that Syracuse finishes nine and three. I I think it's something like like uh I was who that I was explain I forget what my example was but like you know how typical probability curves are basically just bell curves yeah um the Syracuse probability curve feels just like a straight flat line equal options for every single outcome from here on out like I <laughs> like there is just the 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 chances that we win out equal to the chances that we lose out equal so, to the chances that we go one and one and whatever like you so know two things yeah. one if that doesn't explain the feeling for syracuse fans across every single sport i do not know what does and <laughs> two andy's entering his man that man loses additional bit of hope he didn't know he had stage <laughs> arsenal drew against chelsea this weekend I, i'm already there guys i am already there Chelsea um, drew against arsenal this weekend i'm happy <laughs> that's how you yeah that's how you that's why Football I, manager 24 uh, is on early release i can turn manchester united around like this <laughs> <laughs> somebody has to do it uh but you know what you know what's turning around right now home field apparel bomber jacket season that's what's turning so around here. i was <laughs> like where are we going okay i'll i'll give it to you that's it's 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 catch and go but we'll give it to you yeah, after after months of everybody adding Connor and the good brand on your social media of of choice, they finally listened. They dropped bomber jackets for the entire Big Ten, for the entire pack, insert whatever number you feel comfortable calling that conference. Two. Uh, <laughs> either way, they have a beautiful collection of bomber jackets if you are a fan of that team. And do not worry, I have continued to at him to please add Syracuse come basketball season. We will have to wait and see what happens there. But if you are interested in bomber jackets, in hoodies, in sweatshirts, like the one that I am wearing right here. uh, If you're interested in joggers, whatever you want that is cozy, warm for these wonderful fall days, uh, head over to Homefield Apparel and use promo code NOONS23 to get 15% off your first order at home field apparel we appreciate them for continuing to sponsor our show it means a lot to us i had to slip that in there uh before we really get into the other syracuse sports that make us sad and talk more about football (laughs) well well, you know you know what 
it, it might not be home field apparel stuff, but you know who really likes uh, Syracuse-related apparel things? Keon and Carmelo Anthony. Ah, uh, the social media post that even my wife, who does not know sports things, saw because every single person who ever went or was a fan of Syracuse reposted that photo on some form of social media. Which one was this? Uh, did you not see the whole uh, Carmelo Anthony and his son posing in the Mellow Center? Well, which we, also... We have... No, we have the other version, which was uh, captured by our friends at News of Magician, uh, by Dominic Chapone and Mike Ostrowski, which is Carmelo in the Syracuse bookstore. <laughs> ah, I did see that. I did. Yeah, no, I, but the one that Andy is referring on media to. Blank out, blank out all, uh, like, from Friday till now. So. That is true. Mm. But the, the, the one that Andy is referring to is the um, is the one that is that made waves, which is the official visit photo shoot that Keon Anthony did in the Mellow Center with his father, who literally donated to make that building happen. Yeah. yeah. He's kind of a big deal, isn't he? Let's check. The, you know, I, I just have to imagine that it's such a flex to show up with your, uh, show up in a building that you know, you're here, Steve. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up right now if I if I can figure out how to. I got there. you. Okay, there we go. Yeah, I was gonna say I have it on. Um, yeah, if you're if you're listening to this, oh. uh, this is us showing Steve the father and son photo shoot that went viral around the world because uh, it's. Keon Anthony in the best Syracuse jersey, which is the retro script jersey, and his dad wearing the national championship jersey. Say, in his jersey. In which his in jersey. My, in my mind, is still the best Syracuse jersey because, well, we won the title in it. So, in I, his, I still, like in the, his the, building. <laughs> the S, uh, the basketball spaceship S thing logo is still one of my favorites just because of that, I think. But yeah, uh, Keon Anthony can look up and see the K in the Carmelo K. Anthony Center. That means his name. <laughs> like, it's just got to be the weirdest. Like, I won. I'm really happy this happened. If he chooses to go to Syracuse, I actually have a tremendous amount of respect for him because following in your dad's shoes at Syracuse is something that I cannot even begin to fathom what is what that's going to be like to go into a daily basis into the building that your dad is literally built because he won the one national title and walked past the trophy that your dad won with the most valuable player trophy. That's also in there. That's for anyways, it's just gotta be sure of your dad in there <laughs> <laughs> when he was your age, right. which is the other part of this. It's like, it's not, it's, it's not showing current mellow. It is right. Syracuse mellow. And correct me if like, I'm wrong, but there's a TV that, has a that um, has game footage running twenty four seven of the title of the here. tournament. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, it's it's again. If he chooses to willingly walk into that situation, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the kid. Just because, right. it's, like, it's one thing for Reds kids to walk on or do what. It, like Adrian Autry was a phenomenal player for Syracuse. Carmelo Anthony is a different level. <laughs> <laughs> Like it, this, I mean, it, even 
even the Bayheims with like Jim, like it's but they grew up around the program. They're up, they're in the building all the time. Whatever. Like th this just feels different. <laughs> I don't know. It just... No, I I'm with you, and I think I think it's partially because obviously Mello has been around the program, but not in the same way that any of these other guys that we've talked about are because they've, uh, you know, stuck around and coached and Mello has gone out and become one of the best scorers in NBA history with a multi-decade career where he's best friends with one of the greatest players of all time, along with other great players of all time. Like Mello. Shut up, banana boat. <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to think about a banana pun in there. I couldn't do it. I'm glad you just said it. Thank you. Um, so I, I just, it feel like when Carmelo comes back, it feels, it feels like a homecoming. And this is, this is something where I think it also feels different because no disrespect to, to, you know, the younger Anthony, but he is nowhere near the level of prospect that Carmelo was. And yet I don't think at least from what I have seen and like, recruiting stuff can get very hairy. I think we all admit sometimes the recruiting talk goes a little bit overboard, at least in this situation, it doesn't seem like anybody is expecting Keon to come in and, and do what his dad did. It's just more of this, like, Oh, isn't this awesome moment yeah. mm -hmm. that yeah. this is happening. And it's less about like the We're expectations not that he's going to contribute dropping 15 points a night right away. We're not expecting Keon Anthony to come in and be Cooper Fleck. Correct. We're not expecting him. We're not expecting him to come in and do what we expect JJ Starling to do this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird feel because I don't. Maybe it's just me, but I. It's yeah. The pressure seems to not be. It's not like. Yes, it's weird with the building and the the mellow legacy and all that, but it's not like there's not the expectation of him taking the program and putting it on his shoulders or something along those lines. He's in a perfect position to have a very similar career to Buddy Behan. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come in well-recruited, but not heralded with a famous dad. That's very tied into Syracuse basketball and uh, turn it into a pro career somewhere. Uh, well, yeah. formerly pro career for Buddy's sake after this week. It still might go pro, it just might not be in the U.S. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I'm really excited to see where this goes. And again, I encourage you, if you somehow haven't seen the photos, uh, it's just a whole lot of Syracuse nostalgia happening. And yeah. I, think one of, I think one of the photos actually is him in the white version of the script jerseys uh, kissing the national title trophy. That again, his dad won, which yeah. <laughs> like there, there are a whole, sorry, Steve, there are a whole lot of people in your age group that saw those photos that have kids now that are probably, that were uncontrollably weeping the first time that they saw that photo. Are you ready, um, Steve? <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, so. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. That's Mildly weird to see. Just like, <laughs> like, huh. I've seen that picture. I've seen that picture with that family, but it's just not the same. Yeah, no, it's it's 
I, I, w- I will say this and like not saying that this would happen. And obviously he's still, I think what a, a year away from making a decision. Yeah. So that's, mm-hmm. he's like two years away from even showing up on campus. I have no idea what's going to happen with the red archery thing. And we're going to get into why this year is already off to a confusing start. Um, a great but start. like if, if he were to win, if he were to be part of a national title win, winning team at Syracuse, the Anthony family could just, run Syracuse I mean they already probably could but like if if he wins a title and does the whole take the same photos that his dad does and like I I that family is already Syracuse royalty I don't know what the level above that is but they would they would be that if that happens we need to get red a uh uh orange cowboy hat (laughs) (laughs) quick where's the 2025 uh final four gonna be Oh, is it in? Is it going to be in New Orleans? <laughs> Hold on, twenty twenty five final four uh, location. This is the I, I appreciate the NCAA for at least giving you advance notice. They have it all the way out to twenty thirty. Oh my gosh! Um, okay, New Orleans. 3.3. It is. There, none of them are in New Orleans. Uh, twenty five is San Antonio and the Alamo Dome. Wow, oh, that, that is that'll be cool. That'll be cool. Yeah, that's just weird um this year's phoenix uh at state farm naturally 2026 lucas oil in indy 2027 ford field in detroit huh um 2028 allegiant stadium in las vegas nothing could go wrong there 2029 lucas oil in indy and 2030 the house that jerry built which is very funny for me because all these so my favorite thing about this is that the city is not Dallas it is North Texas. That's, so that's what that confused look was. I was like where's North Texas AT&T Stadium? Okay, got it. But, yep. And then <laughs> also my, my favorite fr- thing Oh sorry, my favorite thing about yeah, this is that the so each each uh technically the final four is hosted by a school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like this year in Phoenix it's hosted by Arizona State. In San Antonio it's hosted by UTSA and the University of Incarnate Word. Cool. cool. Um Detroit, Michigan State, Las Vegas, UNLV, AT&T, the Big 12 Conference. <laughs> We're not oh, even going to no. pretend. Did you, miss, did you miss Indy? Indy, it's hosted by the Horizon League. <laughs> uh, I did. The entire uh, Horizon League. <laughs> my favorite thing also, I, th- I saw this a couple weeks ago, is like the NTA doesn't just do this for basketball. They do this for all the other sports as well, like the major ones. because. From what I saw a couple of weeks ago, is that the NCAA had to change the Final Four location for the Lacrosse Championships in 2026 because it originally was going to be in Gillette Stadium, but that stadium is going to be in use that year for the World Cup. <laughs> it's gonna—they're going to be in the middle of taking out all the turf and putting down grass. They are not going to let a lacrosse tournament take place and ruin any of that. Nope. <laughs> we we also know that SoFi is not doing any of that. How did Stan Kroenke build a stadium when he owns multiple soccer teams that can't fit a goddamn soccer pitch? <laughs> I mean, they tried to make it happen. They tried that Arsenal-Barcelona game that was a tire fire. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Well, I mean, Arsenal and tire fire go around well together, so. Boo. Boo. I mean, t- I mean Tottenham has literally millions of videos on how it on how it does its nfl to 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 soccer pitch yep. and vice versa like oh yeah like there's just there's look options. at just look at that 
um, speaking of soccer, do we want to stay there for a minute before we go back to basketball? Since we're we're kind of there. Yeah, we're kind of yeah, there. We might as well. Before uh, we have to go back and eat the vegetables. Yeah, let's talk about the let's talk about things that might be a little bit positive before we end on a downer. <laughs> how do you, how do you like own goals, Andy? Um, well, I like when they happen against Manchester City. Uh, I don't like when they happen against Syracuse. Oh, it didn't happen against Syracuse. Oh, no. Thankfully. That's what saved Syracuse. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. 1-1 one, one draw this afternoon with NC State. And, we, and you can was... guess how the Syracuse goal was scored. Yeah. So I asked Christian this, and we didn't really get into it, but, like, obviously when you're coming off a national title – uh, you're not, and you're not the number one undefeated team in the country. Like the answer is you're not as good as last year. Um, but like this team isn't as good as last year's team, but how much not as good as last year's team are, are they not? Well, they lost four picks to the MLS draft and a oh, well, five. Well, but one came back. Yeah. And, and that's why I said four and the other one, one of the other ones that they lost uh, in terms of their starters um, signed with a Premier League team at the time. Yeah, and is banging in goals at uh, OH Levyman. So, Apoku's doing solid. But, um, yeah. The, side, I think Side note, what are Apoku's FIFA stats? I don't know. Uh, or, oh, sorry, EAFC stats. Right. There we go. The artist <laughs> formerly known as FIFA. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, they're on the year right now. They are seven, three, and five. Now they're two, one, and four in the ACC. That's the whole thing is kind of right on the cut. They need a BC win or a win against BC on Friday, and then uh, and that's away at BC, and then probably to do something in the ACC tournament to make it in as an at-large. Uh, this team, they have having watched a lot of them, they have a lot of talent. I don't know if a lot of it has gelled. I feel like there's a little bit too much freeform going on. There's there's a lot of skill. There's definitely uh, some things going on that we're unsure about, like where the hell Jonah Leibold is. And uh, to give you a gauge, Andy, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, today was senior day. Oh, <laughs> I did. I did see this in the slide. How many people yeah. were honored? Pablo Pedregosa. Gabby McKenna, Gavin Wig, Jackson Glenn, Stephen Haas, Buster Schoberg, Noel Singleman, Mateo Levesque, uh, Georgia Kachevsky, Daniel Tiespania, Nate Edwards, Stephen Betts, Tony Shaw, Josh Belus, Lorenzo Baselli, Felipe D'Agostino, Rodrigo Almeida, and Michael Susky. And also, Cheech Pagano and Julius Rauch, who have uh, graduated as juniors. So that's literally 20 <laughs> of the people on the roster. That are either that either were grad students or seniors. Most of those mentioned as grad students or seniors were transfers in either this year or last year. Um, and to, and and to put that into context, that is two more players than you are allowed to field on a game day in the Premier League. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's still like 17 on the bed. They they had like 37 rostered kids. It was weird. Now, what ends up happening and where that goes next year, I'll be curious because, you know, Mac is uh, is one to reload. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see where it goes and what's going on the rest of this year. Uh, they're 
there's still potentially in it. So yeah. I guess we'll find out next Sunday what, or no, we'll find out next Sunday where they're seated in the ACC tournament. Syracuse is literally brightened this year because they cannot stop drawing. Yeah. 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 That was, that. it's mildly insane to see, you know, uh, every, yeah, seven, three, and five. Like five draws is nuts. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's part of it too, is in prior years, that wasn't like you would have to go through a sudden death extra time to do that. This year is the first year that after regulation, it can end in a draw. So tactically, I wonder, you know, maybe it's, maybe that change is significant. And I don't know. It could be something that helps or hinders whatever Mac's doing or, you know, game plans or whatever. But either way, that is, you know, they've drawn everyone from Penn State and number seven Louisville to now NC State. So I don't know. I have no answers. <laughs> that, that that feels about that feels about right. And it is. I do think that next year is going to be really interesting with the amount of reloading that's going to need to happen here. Um, I'm curious to see if there's like an influx of young talent to try to, you know, build a more consistent core here. But overall, I I am with you. I think that this is, this has been a very confusing season. Yeah. I mean, they're still ranked 22 in the country. Yeah. It's just that they last year, you know, won the whole thing, little different, different uh comparison happening yeah so yeah i don't know did uh i missed the beginning did anything crazy come out of uh uh our friends over in rochester's version of midnight madness yes well, well something came before it oh okay me. so the news that came out before the rochester thing is that on Thursday night, unfortunately, in Thursday practice, Chance Westry suffered a lower body injury. And that lower body injury needs a procedure. Did he just come off of a lower body injury? That he did a... just come off knee surgery. Okay. But that Syracuse Athletics cool. announced before the Rochester event that he has a lower body injury and it needs a procedure. And he is currently out indefinitely. Now, Donna Totoda from Syracuse.com did note that Westry was at the Rochester event. And I don't, and if I recall her words correctly, wasn't like, didn't have like any noticeable limp or anything, was smiling and like looked okay ish. No, no crutches, no boot, no noticeable limp. So, so ACL? It, it, it sounds to me that sounds like an ACL because. I, I've seen people do things on a torn ACL that like shouldn't be be able to be done. Oh, my dad had a torn ACL for six years or something before he realized it was torn. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like an ACL, which is tough because he already had arthroscopic knee surgery on one of his knees. First of all, you hope it's not the same knee because if it's the same knee, then that's ugh. right. But. We're just speculating that it's an ACL. I'm not. We're not sure. It could be some other type of lower leg injury, lower body injury. That yeah. Who knows? I mean, but, we all this. This is. I mean, 
to give you perspective, this is we all watched uh, Ronda Gadsden come down off that and have a little minor limp coming off the field and not really being hobbled at all. And next thing you know, he's got a least Frank that's out for eight or nine months. So the opposite could and, be true, where and, and probably know, and even and even probably more because list Frank entries take forever to come back from. Oh yeah, no, I'm saying eight or nine until he's like doing things. Yeah. Um, but like Westry could be the opposite where he looks perfectly fine, but something's seriously wrong. And this is where it hurts Syracuse because depth-wise, Westry was probably going to be the first guard off the bench for Adrian Autry. Like, and uh, to me, Westry was going to be that guy who, if you needed a shooting spark or some sort of scoring spark off the bench, Westry could provide that for Syracuse. Because while I think a lot of people are excited for JJ Starling, like Andy said, to me, he and Mintz have very similar games. So if you can mix that up with someone like Westry who has more scoring first mentality, that like could help with like lineup balance very well, especially with like a spark coming off the bench. And now, unfortunately you don't have that for X amount of time because we don't know how, how much, how long he's out for. So does that, that basically, I mean, we knew, we knew the group was those three and Kadir Copeland, right? Or yeah. Like, you you, you then, would expect just based on what's happening, Copeland would probably be one of those guards that probably comes off the bench. He, maybe he, moves back to point guard because that was, you know, the position he played in high school. And I, to me, it was always weird that he was playing quote unquote, the three last year, the, the two, three, whatever they were yeah. doing there. Um, and then your favorite thing, Taylor probably comes down as Please. the next I, that, that's <laughs> what I, mean. I like, I, I like the Taylor buddy Bayheim comparisons are like, really really strong it always has been and i i like to to me you've got to play taylor as a two i don't i don't think you play him as a three i think the only time you play him as a three is if you're going pure small ball and that's where you bring the malik brown uh right lineup in yeah yeah Yeah, so then if you're yeah yeah, that's that's about your only option there. Yeah, because mm-hmm. then he's your outlet, and you're running. If you're running Mince Starling, him, then he you've got two guys running, and him kind of is an yeah. off. And well, then you probably put Bell in as Bell. you probably put Bell in as a, like as a as a four. Yeah. Well, and those two stretch from the three and four. Those two stretch yeah the offense and allow those two to, the two guards to penetrate. Exactly. So it kind of. Look at but me. Yeah, to, to, basketball thing. I mean, I mean, to me, like, to to me, like, podcast listeners who have listened for a while know I've been beating the drum for a long time. Like, I think Taylor should be at guard. Same with Copeland. I think he should yeah. be at guard. But like, then, what do you do with the forward depth? That yeah, turns I mean, the forwards into literally Bell and Benny. That is true. Yeah, but then you have, I mean, yes, Brown is there, so you might as well play him at the. At the four, because you right. already also have because I people forgot. I think people forgot Munirima exists on this team. Like, I mean, I did. I, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. hey guys. Yeah. Like, I, there, there's a lot of hype around Brown being a small ball five, but there is a backup five. Right. That's a natural five. Who we know can back up the five. Exactly. So Brown doesn't have to play 
the small ball position as basketball five. That like is a very trendy thing to do in the NBA. He can well, just think, be a power forward. Yeah, and I th- I think it's going to be interesting to see because we know that Starling, Mints, and Benny are going to play every game. Probably if we were going by the old Bayheim rules, get the thirty eight minutes a night because they were the three that were brought down to Project Basketball. You don't you know you don't really bring anybody who's not starting to to that event at least historically that's the way that syracuse has done it obviously so, things are different but yeah whatever red's equivalent of the bayheim 30 and 38 a night yes yeah. whether you know, yeah i got a hunch we're gonna actually see some semblance of movement and rotation in you know and using and, more than six people <laughs> i mean but this is my thought is that like i think to the small ball five part we are potentially on the cusp of seeing a, a team that plays a bit more up-tempo and plays like, again, if you look at this roster on paper, you're seeing a, re- you're seeing a team that for me reminds me a lot of the 2011, 2012 team where you've just got a lot of athletes that probably play best in transition. The shooting is, is really, especially with the Westry news, yep. the shooting is really weak, like relatively speaking to the rest of their abilities So if anything, playing in transition actually makes a ton more sense because you're trying to limit the number of jumpers that they're taking and essentially say, take threes or take layups, but do so in a way that benefits you. What if I said before, Phoenix Suns, seven seconds or less? I mean, I am really intrigued to see how this team comes out and plays in the first few exhibition matches. Um, Mostly because, yeah, I... I think the recipe is there. It's just going to, again, there's a lot of these pieces that can fit together in various ways. And we, unlike in past years where we very much knew how Jim Beheim liked to use certain types of ingredients, we have no idea what, what Red's preferred mix is here. And I think that that's exciting. Like this is the, honestly, this has been the most like intrigued, exciting that I have been going into a Syracuse basketball season for a very, very long time. I care again. <laughs> <laughs> I should, that that seems for most, for most of my life, it was like Syracuse basketball. I actually cared more about Syracuse basketball than I did Syracuse football for most of my life. And then there was just a general feeling of apathy. <laughs> and and, he, and there we was are. Sadness. Yeah. Hello, and, darkness, yeah. my old friend. Big. I've Sorry. come to talk with you again. <laughs> All right. We're going to get out of here before things get too, get too depressing here. You We're know, excited. You, you, know when, you know when Christian's in quoting musical or music lyrics mode that it's time to get out of here yeah. before, <laughs> before we drive the viewer base further away than they already have. Yep. I'm I'm just saying, like, this week's going to be real weird because the game's on Thursday, which means that we have, like, a full – week like a full weekend to process this this stuff and man it's gonna get it's gonna get squirrely if this game goes sideways so please win please win uh that's all i ask please win uh but that is it for the disloyal idiots podcast a fans for sports nation podcast we appreciate our sponsors home field apparel as always use promo code noons n-u-n-e-s-2-3 for 15 percent off your first order at home field apparel Thank you again to everybody who is subscribed. 
on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure that you, uh, if you have not already, subscribe. Help us trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire. Make sure you subscribe to follow us on, uh, let's see, the Fans First Facebook, YouTube, Disloyal Idiots YouTube, Disloyal Idiots Twitch, uh, Fans First uh, Twitter, and Fans uh, Disloyal Idiots Twitter, because that is where you can watch this live stream at any uh, point in time. Uh, but we prefer that you watch it with us Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern because that's when you get the most fun. You get the most fun live view. You can interact with us in the comments. It's always a great time. Uh, gentlemen, I will see. I actually will see you Sunday night uh, for whatever happens Thursday night and whatever happens in basketball between then. Uh, but I'm excited. Go Orange. One quick thing before we head oh. out. We did this for the North Carolina game, probably to some regret, but we'll fire it back up for this Virginia Tech game. Join us on all the live streaming sites that Andy just mentioned. We'll host yes. another Syracuse watch party for Syracuse Virginia Tech on Thursday night. So join I us there. Cannot wait to, to, to second screen that stuff. Uh, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Go, Orange. Go, Orange. <laughs>